0: Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach.
1: Good morning, you all. Uh, Welcome to our weekly talk show, Taking Care of Business. My guest this morning is Ken Coffey, founder, owner, and partner at MicroWatt Controlling. His partner is also his life partner, Marlene, and unfortunately, she couldn't be with us, and we wish her all the best. But I'm sure, Ken, that Marlene is listening and you better do a good job And during our broadcast because uh, you'll be in trouble if you don't tell the story right. Mm, that's
2: right. Even <laughs> if she's not listening now, she will later and make sure that I'm on track. <laughs> uh, perfect. So good
1: morning, Ken, and thank you for being my guest today. Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. So, a little bit about Microwatt, uh, the company that you guys own. Microwatt Controlling has been widely recognized for over 30 years as one of the most trusted and experienced uh, process and instrumentation solution providers in in Western Canada. And that is only one of your many kind of journeys that you took over the last uh, 40, 50 years. Well... (laughs)
2: 40 is pushing it, but let's say 40. Um, certainly, um, microwatt control devices is the most long-standing. Yeah. And indeed, I think the reputation that you described is the truth.
1: Oh, perfect. <laughs> um, so, usually, before I ask you about your business and, uh, you know, how you started, how you grew it, and etc., I share some of uh, the guest bio with our listeners. Um, but, you know, when I was looking and learning about your bio and your, your, your you know, beginnings, I decided that instead of me sharing, I think you have an interesting story, and we'll change it, and I'll ask you questions about it, and uh, you'll share with us your story uh, uh, growing up and, and and your first steps into uh, the business world, uh, and uh, we'll take it from there. Once we know you better, we'll go and uh, talk about the business and, and how you uh, were so successful and get from you some business ideas and maybe some insights, so... Uh, first of all, where were you born? Where are you from?
2: Uh, I'm from, uh, born and raised in Penticton, British Columbia. How big uh, is Penticton? Well, it was about ten to 12,000 people when I uh, grew up there. And today it's probably 20. Okay, but, uh, so double happened. in size. Uh, yeah, <laughs> over a long period of time. It's a fantastic place to grow up, incidentally. Uh, beautiful summers, wineries, uh, uh, lakes on both sides of the city, great place.
1: Oh, I guess uh, that's where the kind of passion for the uh, water in your life.
2: I think probably yes, but more so when I moved to Vancouver and
1: became familiar with the ocean. Oh, <laughs> we'll get to that later. So, uh, you know, growing up, what kind of a kid were you? Uh, like played hockey, or uh, um, more yeah, of a you know, stay I, home and read books? No, I wasn't a
2: <clears throat> I wasn't a stay home and read books guy. Um, although. Uh, I've done my share of reading books, mostly non-fiction. I'm not a fiction guy. Um, but I, uh, <clears throat> I did play hockey, as a matter of fact, until I graduated from high school. Uh, but that was really the only organized sports I did. I then uh, when it got more involved in individual sports, skiing and
1: hunting, fishing, that sort of thing. I see. Uh, playing hockey, was that the main event at Penticton at the time?
2: Well, it was very important. Uh, there was a hockey team called the Penticton Vs. Uh, that for a town of uh, ten thousand um, was exceptionally good. They they actually won the world hockey uh, um, junior no not junior professional hockey championship in
1: 1955, which was only six years after I was born. <laughs> I see, uh, and uh, so you played hockey through high school and
2: yes uh, through high school um, it wasn't a passion for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but it was yeah. something to do.
2: It was absolutely something, and it was something good to do.
1: And um, it was a social event more than a sport for you.
2: Um, <laughs> primarily, well, squat, I'd say both of them. Both of them. Do you uh, still active in sports today? Um, a little bit in individual sports. Still, not really any kind of team sports, but mildly active in uh, things outdoor sports: hiking, walking, skiing, uh, boating, lots of boating. Okay. Lots of boating in my life. Fishing, yes.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, so, extra, uh, did you do anything else uh, at Penticton? Like, did you get a job after school or, uh, no. or very involved in the community or just, you know, hockey and school and stay home? No, that was, uh, I mean, there wasn't much staying home. There was a quite a bit of partying in
2: my high school life. <laughs> um, my parents weren't particularly well off. Um, uh, they were very ordinary working class people. Um, so, you know, we did what we did. What we could do as kids to um, get into mischief, um, but it was a very, uh, as a really fun place to grow up. A small city.
1: So if I uh, if we connect some of your teammates from the Penticton V's and ask about Ken, what will they say? How will they describe you? Well, those days.
2: Um, well, of course they didn't know me, but they, uh, I would suspect that uh, they would have considered to me relatively private and somewhat. Introverted, shy kind of guy. <laughs> I uh, see. Which had to
1: change. And so that was an intentional effort. You did good work in no, changing. Uh, I did change. Uh, so uh, you grow in Penticton, you go to high school in Penticton, and then what? You decide to go to university? Well, I didn't decide. Uh, my parents decided. Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> so this was uh, reinforced for several years prior to the event, and uh, when I graduated from high school, they loaded me up in their car and took me to Vancouver. So I went to Vancouver and uh, went to UBC and uh, my first year was science and my intentions were to get into engineering, but uh, school was a lot more fun than it was academic for me. (laughs) And uh, so I didn't get sufficient grades to make engineering. So I I continued on in science
1: and uh, took a major in physics. So uh, that's University of British Columbia. How many years did you take science? Uh, just the two years. And so, after two years, you decided you're it's just, good enough?
2: Yeah, I, well, I knew it wasn't good enough. But, <laughs> good uh, enough for you at that time. Well, it moment. turned out to be good enough, <laughs> that's for sure. But in fact, um, I, just, I just wasn't into it. I didn't, I didn't like the, the school. Um, I didn't make a good transition from high school to university. It was a huge change in the environment. It just didn't work. So I decided to go and do other jobs and get things figured out. How did your parents respond? Um, By that time, they'd pretty much given up on trying to (laughs) control me. (laughs) They got me there. That was their job.
1: I see. They got you a bunch of suitcases and moved you to UBC, uh, University of British Columbia. uh, Exactly right. And they stayed in a
2: residence, which was called Fort Camp, which was converted army barracks. So, um, and we lived like like soldiers.
1: So, you uh, decide to leave university after two years and do what? What what was your kind of plan or did you you have a plan?
2: honestly didn't really have a plan. I just went looking for uh, work and there there was a fair amount of work available, but I I did a number of things including framing houses and uh, other other forms of construction work, didn't care much for that. It's a pretty rainy place in Vancouver and uh, outdoor working didn't seem like so much fun. Um, Tried numerous things, but I I think the thing that ultimately kind of woke me up was answering an advertisement in the newspaper for a position um, uh, with regards to a new piece of equipment for cleaning the air inside a home. And so I responded to this uh, advertisement, went to a building, sat down in in a small conference room with about 30 guys and uh, we listened to a presentation and it turned out that that presentation was actually about vacuum cleaners and it was a job selling vacuum cleaners door to door
1: and so do you I, take I, the job
2: i went for it absolutely
1: how long did you do it about a year and share some experiences
2: well um as i said i hadn't really beat the sort of shyness introversion part of my personality at that point, so it was quite difficult, but it was a really fantastic fantastic learning experience. Um, We we had to learn a routine, a presentation routine, we had to learn how to get through um, the front door of of people's homes, we had to learn how to get in there and uh, open a box, show them a piece of equipment, and ultimately convince them to buy the thing, and it was not cheap. (laughs)
1: And how successful were you?
2: Moderately. (laughs) I'm not doing that anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did you make a living, though? Were you able to support yourself? Or you you called dad for a loan?
2: No, I don't think I called for any loans. Um, I survived. I see. I got through it. And... um, When I got through it, I had learned more about sort of uh, living and and business than I ever imagined. And that was a uh, wake-up call, really, for me. Uh, They also provided training, a positive thinking, motivation uh, type of training, which I'd never been exposed to before, although I always had had an interest in psychology. Mm -hmm. So that was a tremendous um, sort of uh, tying up um, these interests with reality.
1: I know I'm I'm putting a little bit, uh, you know, uh, questions for that I probably would have brought up later. I I want to bring it a little bit now and, you know, relate to the experience on door-to-door sales. Yes. Uh, When you have today an organization, Micro-Ord Controlling, that uh, is a sales organization as well. Right. As as an owner, do you see some of the experience uh, and some of the, uh, I would say, uh, bad and good experiences that you had selling door to door, kind of help you today, mentor or supervise your salespeople today.
2: Yes, um, that experience was really the first thing that got me interested in sales, and um, without having had that introduction to selling and and and. And learning how to work with people, uh, people that you don't know, people who really don't want to see you, and certainly people who don't want to buy anything from you, um, uh, really was, a, I think, the, a real essential part of learning to become brave enough to start a business.
1: Mm-hmm. So you you said that that was an eye-opener. That experience was an eye-opener. That work environment was an eye-opener for you for different things that uh, then influenced you. But you you still, uh, you went for another job and then you moved to Calgary. When did you move to Calgary?
2: I moved to Calgary about four years after I quit uh, university. And um,
1: I just needed... So door-to-door was during, after you moved, or is it still in Vancouver? That was in Vancouver. Okay. Yep. And you moved to Calgary and did what?
2: I was looking for a job again because, you know, it's sort of done that thing. Yeah. And um, so I ended up uh, seeing an advertisement for a person to um, become a, um, basically, a driver of a five-ton cube van and deliver and sell uh, snack foods uh, in Calgary. So Nally's Foods uh, Company was a very major uh, uh, potato chip manufacturer in those days, and they uh, they uh, needed a, a root salesman in Calgary. So I uh, took six weeks of training in Vancouver, moved to Calgary, I left Vancouver when it was a bright, sunny spring day, got to Calgary, it was like minus 25 and snowing. <laughs> and uh, Anyhow, I, I took the job and I drove um, I drove a route uh, selling potato chips for a couple of years.
1: So, what helped you make the decision that you want to go back to school? Because uh, then you went back to school.
2: That's right. So, the guy that I worked for uh, driving uh, this route sales, uh, we sat in a bar one day um, at the Tradewinds Motor Hotel in Calgary and we are having a couple of beers and we are talking about life. And he said, well, he he asked me about my history, about my schooling history and so on. And I explained that I had an interest in electrical and electrical engineering. And he said, then you should quit this job and you should go back to school here in Calgary. So he suggested uh, very strongly that I investigate uh, Southern Alberta Institute of Technology, uh, which I found was very solid advice. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I did that. I went to university, or pardon me, uh, technical school at uh, SAIT. And uh, I was ready to learn then. I, whatever was holding me up in university had gone away, and I was now ready to uh, learn with, with, uh, with
1: gusto. So, so you were more or less about 26, 27? Yeah, yeah, 26. 26, and that's when you decided to go back to school. Correct. So, yeah, two years. During this process, when and where did you and Marlene meet? Um, so... After I was,
2: so I'm in my second marriage. Um, So after I completed the SAIT uh, education, uh, I took a couple of different jobs um, involved with, first of all, with um, telecommunications engineering, I was sitting in an office, couldn't stand it. I'd already done sales. uh, Just sitting in an office drove me crazy, (laughs) so I had to get out of that. So I applied for a number of jobs involved with selling electronic components to various uh, types of companies that were in the manufacturing business. So um, I I took numerous jobs and eventually I was calling on one of my customers and that customer, I'd been calling on them actually for a number of months and eventually they offered me a job as a salesman selling instrumentation to the oil and gas industry. So when I took that job um Marlene was working in the company that I took the job with. I see. Right. So then we met at work.
1: <laughs> and uh and that was a love of first sight,
2: Well, pretty much
1: you know, we, yeah, it took a little while, but we got on you know she's going to listen <laughs> <laughs> she's already listening, so watch your what you say, <laughs> I see yeah. uh perfect, so uh Ken, we reached uh, you know our first commercial break, we have to go and uh get some commercials and um We'll continue discussing with with Ken Coffey, uh, owner of Microwave Controlling, following the commercial break.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. one 472 5787 And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallock at gmail.com. That's divi wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back
1: with our guest, Ken Coffey, founder and owner of Microworld Controlling. So Ken, before we left for the uh, commercials, we kind of summarized your, I would say pre-business ownership uh, life and uh, experiences. And uh, we even got to meeting Marlene. Yes. Um, So in 1984, you make a decision to start your own company. What kind of event or person or mentor or direction. Why did you decide to start your own company?
2: Well, I, th- I think that the, um, I think my mind was set up for it by my previous experiences where I, I felt that there was a lot wrong or a lot that could be better, I guess, um, there was nothing really wrong, but things could be better. Um, inside the business that I was working for, but I had no opportunity to really influence those changes. So my mind was in that space. And a friend uh, that I met in uh, technical school uh, was doing a job, and he was having the same same experience. And we were very 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 close. And one day he quit his job, and uh, and then he phoned me up and said, "Ken, uh, I just quit my job. I'm going to start a business. Um, why don't you be a partner with me?" And I said. No problem, let's do it, because I was ready. So um, so we were both quit. Um, we were young men, married, didn't really have much money. Um, so we started the business, and the business uh, opened up. At the grand opening
1: was in the basement of his house. So like the true stories, either the basement or the garage? Yeah, that's a true story. This was a basement. So, so what was this business all about? Um, the, that first business was called kilowatts
2: design company. And uh, Kirby, who was my, my buddy and partner, uh, he was um, more inclined towards electrical. Um, more, His jobs had been in electrical engineering, electrical design. And uh, so we started that business as a design company. And um, I was more inclined towards selling stuff. I think because I had had this early experience selling vacuum cleaners and numerous other things actually. Uh, I sold a product called Slick 50 Motor Oil um, (laughs) at a time and so I was interested in selling things so uh, we decided about a year or two after starting the business that we would start another business and we call this business Microwatt Control Devices. So we would now have an engineering business and a product sales company.
1: And that was 85 or 86? The um,
2: Yes, that started in about 84 really and continued from
1: and there. And is Kirby still a partner in anything you do? Uh,
2: no, um, sadly uh, we lost Kirby to a brain tumor.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. But
2: uh, actually before that, he, uh, he was maybe smarter than me, he sold his business and decided to retire quite early, uh, whereas I was sort of addicted to the
1: business deal. So, in 1987, three years later, you guys decided Marlene should join the company.
2: Well, uh, yes, but… It, oh, it you're, he- re- you're
1: pausing, you're
2: hesitant. <laughs> it was really me, here's how that happened. Um, uh, Kirby and I, uh, because these uh, businesses were so different, um, and there was a conflict uh, when you're trying to offer engineering advice and at the same time sell products, there's a perceived conflict of interest. So we decided to divide the companies. So we each uh, gave back 50% of the shares to the other. So I became 100% owner of Microwatt, Mm -hmm. and he became 100% owner of Kilowatts Design. Um, So I functioned for a couple of years um, just by myself. Uh, And then when uh, Marlene and I joined, uh, got married, and uh, we decided that uh, we would get together. Uh, She had, I mean, in a business sense, she had been working for a manufacturer of electronic equipment for the oil industry uh, as a salesperson and um, so we worked together to acquire a very important product that we could represent.
1: And uh, when she joined, uh, when Marlene joined, and and, you know uh, part of our show is is talking about entrepreneurship and you know not a lot of uh, companies I see husband and wife working together. So who was the decision maker after she joined? Did it change?
2: Well, it uh, tended to change uh, a little bit. Um, it's an interesting problem when you have a, a person as a partner who um, is a substantially, uh, has some domineering characteristics, <laughs> uh, who likes to be a part of everything and uh, uh, play, play a complete role. So we had to find a way to work together, and um, this is a little bit untraditional, but uh, the way this worked was, is that um, we had quite different opinions on things, and we would, when we had a business problem, we would come at it from two different angles, and we would compromise, and come to a decision, and move forward with that decision. So nobody, neither of us, got to uh, do exactly what we wanted to do, as individuals. However, we came with a course of action which, generally speaking, worked out quite well.
1: You know, there's one question that. Uh kind of I want to uh, figure out. When you work with your wife and a company or companies like you guys had and have, um, does work stop when you drive home or is it also on the kitchen table, at the dinner table, at pillow talk? Uh, how do you separate or balance, I would say, between the two?
2: Well, it's it's a bit of a challenge, but I think in our case... For the most part, it stops when we leave the office. Um, there are some, you know, we've had some conversations, you know, of course, around the dinner table and so on. But it's not as a habit. Uh, mostly we try to stop. Marlene is the primary driver of that. She wishes to stop when we get home. I don't so, I don't so much. But, again, it's the compromise thing. She doesn't want to talk about business pretty tough for me to talk about business
1: yeah i see <laughs> and and how did the kids kind of get involved in, in the, those kind of uh, conversation because i guess today is maybe and i'm assuming here different than 25 years ago when the building when the business was still building you probably had more talks in the at home about yeah. about i the would office.
2: say i would say that was right there was more office talk in the early days then it gradually tapered off uh, from home um, some families, or probably many families that are in business, um, get uh, you know they want to uh, they want to specifically take steps to groom their children to uh, you know take over the business. Um, we didn't have that notion. Um, we felt always that we would expose our kids to as many opportunities as we could, and and let them decide for themselves what they wanted to do.
1: So, uh, do you see your kids taking over the business?
2: Probably unlikely. Um, our oldest son, um, um, you know, has decided that he really probably does a couple of things. He doesn't probably want to hang around his parents who are still very active in the business. <laughs> um, and secondly, he's an outdoorsman, uh, very, very, uh, very, very strong with uh, fishing and hunting and, and the outdoors. So he um, he's gravitated towards the, our neighboring province, British Columbia, and the Okanagan Valley, yes. uh, somewhat north of where I grew up in Penticton, um, probably 50 miles north. And uh, he's right now has an offer in on purchasing a business that he would own and operate.
1: In the Okanagan area,
2: in uh, in the Vernon area, yes, it was um, it's um, primarily a storage business uh, and services related to that. Uh, people storing boats mm-hmm. and automobiles and motorcycles.
1: I see. And he um, had no uh, kind of uh, desire to buy you guys out, and uh, you guys work for him.
2: He <laughs> <laughs> may have, but it was never expressed. I, but honestly, I don't think um, he's really has a passion for running a business. He's, uh, uh, again, more of an individualist.
1: Mm -hmm. However, he did work with you. Yes. yes. Or he's still working with you? He's
2: still working uh, until the end of this week.
1: Oh, and and then uh, did he give his two-week notice or you fired him?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He he gave his notice several times before it was
1: accepted. (laughs) I see. Okay. Um, So how is it to work? Uh, maybe I should uh, I should have asked him. How is it to work with mom and dad? Or how is it from your perspective now working with your wife and your son?
2: Well, it's not easy. It's not something that I would recommend um, as as a way for everybody. I think it's um, I think it's somewhat uh, special and it's quite challenging uh, because we are dealing now. You're dealing with two or three, and we actually have four, uh, two sons. So there's four of us that have been involved. And they all have very strong ideas. And your young son also worked for Microwad? He, at present, is on a leave. He's uh, with five guys on a motorcycle trip in South America. So, uh, he claims he's going to be back in March and he's going to be ready for um, a new strong position. Where? Well, in in the company. Okay. In the company, but um, I've done a lot of traveling myself and I know that when you travel, um, new things happen in your mind. Right. And he could very easily uh, change his mind about that, but at the moment he's 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 very strong on the notion of coming back.
1: The other thing that happens when you travel a lot is your bank account gets to be empty, so he may yes. need a job. Well, he absolutely will need a job. Uh, I know how much money he's got, and I know how long it's going to last. Um, so you expect him back in March?
2: I do expect him back in March, um, for sure. Having said that, you never know, he might find a job somewhere else, I, I just don't know. Uh, so, We'll so,
1: see. when your sons uh, joined the company, uh, did they get a nice, you know, title and corner office, or they had to start from the bottom and find their way up and, you know, prove themselves and learn more about the business from the ground up?
2: They absolutely started at the bottom. No titles, lowest possible position in the company that we had. And they they did indeed work their way up, and you mentioned um, whether or not the eldest son you know, gave his notice or got fired. He did get fired once from our company (laughs) by his immediate supervisor.
1: (laughs) Oh, so you don't supervise him?
2: uh, No, I try to stay out of that. I see. Uh, But yes, indeed, they started at the bottom and worked their way up and uh, they've never carried uh, extremely high titles.
1: So you didn't treat them different than you treat other employees? No, we did not. And that's a good message to everyone else. Well, I think it's,
2: I happen to think it's important um, because, you know, that that would be observed by the rest of the employees, and it would not be motivating for them to see that the that the family, you know, got all the
1: good opportunities. Did you ever talk with the supervisors of your sons and say, you know, make them work hard behind their back?
2: We told them to treat them exactly the same way they treat the other employees.
1: Okay, perfect. So you had uh, a few other companies during the journey, right? Yeah, uh, Marlene and you got bored with only one company, so you decided <laughs> it's not enough, and let's stuff start, start some more. Yeah, I, I. One of them was Net Safety Monitoring. Uh,
2: yes, a company called uh, Net Safety Monitoring. We um, we decided after you know, on five or six years of uh, selling other people's products. That there were a certain number of risks involved with that, we could see that uh, manufacturers will appoint a distributor or a representative, and that goes along for a period of time. If you do, uh, if you do extremely well, um, manufacturers sometimes think that they can take it away from you and do it themselves. If you do a, a really crappy job, you get fired, so you're sort of forced into mediocrity, and we weren't happy with uh, with the mediocrity side of things. So we decided that we should become a manufacturer of products, and we had, uh, we had skills in our business that could get this started, and we felt that by um, becoming a manufacturer, uh, we could then set up our distribution company, Microwatt, uh, to be the Western Canadian distributor. And that would give us security. So now we would not be dependent on external suppliers. suppliers yeah. So we started to form a kind of a vertical chain, manufacturing and distributing under our control. And that gave Microwatt a great deal of security and success.
1: So uh, a few years ago, you sold net safety monitoring. Correct. So why not just retire? I. You like boating? I. Uh, yes. You yes, like sir. traveling? I do. You well, like fishing?
2: Right. All those things um, we absolutely could have retired there was plenty of cash around um, but by the time we had uh, done this work for so long um, you tend to get a little bit addicted to business and less so for me than for my wife i was really in really really intense but when the time came i i could have retired i probably would have but marlene absolutely was still very, very keen on uh, on working in the business, and so as I said before, we we have to capitulate on certain things, and uh, I agreed to continue to assist in running the businesses with her, but not to say that we've I've given up much. We've done lots of traveling, lots of fishing, lots of boating, so on.
1: So, you just answer a previous question, who is the decision maker? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did answer it. <laughs> it took you a while to admit, but we, we got there. <laughs> so, um, we have to take our second commercial break, and, and wh- when we get back, uh, I'm going okay. to ask you about uh, SenseNet, and yes. what have you learned from a failed experience? So right. we are going now to uh, the commercial break, and we will meet you at this uh, the other side of the commercials.
3: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: Tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's d i v i wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show.
1: We're back for the home stretch of today's show, Taking Care of Business, with our guest, Ken Coffey, founder and owner of Microad Controlling and many other companies. So, Ken, before we went to the uh, to the uh, commercial break, I mentioned uh, SenseNet, and I also m- I mentioned a failed experience. So, as an entrepreneur, you started many companies, and when everything goes well and you sell micro—sorry, uh, net safety, and you were happy with microad. But what have you learned? Like, what went wrong? Or why did it fail when you have two successful companies? Why did the third fail?
2: Well, I think that uh, and a very important thing for entrepreneurs to understand is that um, very, very large companies like to deal with very, very large companies. And the SenseNet company was ostensibly a very small company, uh, was backed up by MicroWatt, uh, which was a successful and strong company. Uh, But Sensen itself was a small entity, and we were dealing with a very large um, international telecommunications company. And um, we were trying to do things, uh, but big companies work very slowly, and they're very, very hard to influence, and it's hard to get things done that you need to get done. And we just basically got smothered. By that experience, so I think the, the the lesson from that is, if you're starting up and you're a small entrepreneurial um, company, don't try to don't ex, you know expect difficulties if you're going to try to work closely with a monster. Mm-hmm. Any other companies we're not aware of that you guys have tapped your hands in? Uh, I don't think anything particularly noteworthy. Um, I would I would like to add that. The SenseNet Corporation still exists, but the business premise that we were trying to follow with the large telecommunications company failed, and we we shifted gears. Mm -hmm. And we're now, we've designed and manufactured a uh, a smartphone application, um, and uh, we uh, are developing a really,
1: really strong presence with that product. Nice. Um, Predominantly, your business was oil and gas related. Correct. Now, in the last two years, we had really challenging times here in Alberta with the oil and gas industry, with yeah. with with the barrel goods to 26 bucks a barrel about a year and a, a year ago. Um, so, how did it impact your business?
2: Well, it's it's actually it's been, been uh, I hate to say it but it's been quite devastating. Um, one of the one of the really smart things that we did was we sold uh, the net safety company, um, and then. Um, and then we continued on with microwatt. But in the end, um, we lost control because when we owned both companies, we had complete control. But once we sold um, the other company, um, we actually uh, suffered the loss of representation for that product. So one of the one of the difficulties there was was that um, the manufacturing the products that we manufactured, represented more than half of the business of Microwatt. So when that evaporated, we lost half of our business. And then shortly after that, the oil and gas industry got hammered. Mm -hmm. So we got the double whammy. And together, those things have been uh,
1: a very painful experience. So how did you kind of uh, take, what kind of measures did you guys take to survive during the, the last two years?
2: Well, we've had to re-engineer what MicroWatt does. Um, we were known specifically uh, and most predominantly for the type of products that we were selling to the oil and gas industry. And we, uh, we formed uh, some relationships with other manufacturers to try and fill this gap. But it was extremely, extremely difficult. That has not been as fruitful as we would have hoped. So we're now doing uh, many, many different things in our business. In fact, we've added, this sort of goes right back to the beginning when we were connected uh, with the engineering uh, aspect of Kilowatts Design Company, we've now introduced a highly specialized um, risk uh, management uh, engineering into our business. Mm-hmm. So we're adding in various other components of the business to try and restore our strength.
1: Did you have to uh, let some people go did you have to do some kind of reorganization internally?
2: Yeah, plenty of reorganization. Um, uh, We have employed up to 100 people at any given time and today it's
1: more like 25. That's a big change. It's a big change. when you look back now to the success of uh, net safety monitoring, which you guys sold, and, and micro controlling, what do you contribute? Is it uh, market condition, luck, or did you guys uh, build build it right with checks and balances? The process of getting it from start to a strong company that the market wants the market wants to buy.
2: Right. Um, the, well there's two things one of course is the environment we we're in Alberta I mean I came to Alberta for opportunity and Alberta has been um, a fabulous uh, place of opportunity for very many many years and um, so we had the environment and we had the we had the experience and we had the will to um, get into that environment and, and make the best of it um, and and um, I think it's a lot to do with determination. Um, none of this stuff is easy. Um, we didn't have all, we completely bootstrapped. We'd never borrowed a cent uh, during our you know, our business success. We are bootstrapping all the way. Mm-hmm. So that's um, a hard way to go, but it, it gives you strength. And uh, when things are good, you really rocket forward. And when things get tough, you, you know how to back down. Uh, because you've been there, you started from nothing. You're prepared to go back to nothing if you
1: have to. Prepared or you're
2: uh, well, uh, willing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know many people that are prepared to go back. Maybe they understand they have to. You uh, get
2: prepared.
1: <laughs> I see. Uh, and and did you when 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 you started uh, Microt or later Net Safety? Did you guys have uh, like a mission, vision, uh, uh, purpose, or you just had uh, like this is the plan we want to go and let's move forward. We didn't have um, a
2: traditional business plan. Um, it, was, it was more uh, napkins type stuff, to tell you the truth, because nobody ever forced us to have a business plan because we weren't borrowing money. Um, that's not to say a business plan isn't a good thing. It <laughs> is a good
1: thing. As an an engineer, I'm surprised that you didn't have a business plan.
2: Yeah, well, fair enough. (laughs) Um, I don't recommend not having a business plan, let's put it that way. But we got away, substantially got away without it.
1: did you, did you prepare one over the years or after you started, did you, when you saw the growth in the company, have you kind of took the time to prepare a business plan or, or get your mission, vision yes. and purpose for, for when, when you started hiring more and more employees?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, we did much, much more of that. As we got into the manufacturing and became uh, a bigger entity, there were much more formalized business plans, uh, but not for the purpose of, of seeking investment, for example. They were simply guidance uh, documents internally.
1: So it was an an internal process to get everybody on the same kind of... Rowing in the same direction.
2: Exactly. And we had mission, vision statements that were uh, promoted and people understood.
1: And uh, that's the next question is, did did your employees kind of buy in into the mission, vision? Was it a process that involved more than just you and Marlene to create those?
2: Well... For certain, um, as we grew, we had to hire uh, more and more people to manage various departments, and the whole management staff was on board with that. And we were, we functioned very much like a family business. Um, even at, at the height of uh, the number of people employed, say 100, um, we we knew all these people on a first-name basis and integra- in, interface with them on a daily basis. And you know, they, they came to all our social events, and we were a happy family.
1: Are you st- still happy?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still happy. Um, I'm. I'm sad that most of those people have lost their jobs over the time.
1: I see. And uh, mm-hmm. the 25 people that you still uh, work at Microdot, do they, are they kind of aware of the mission and the customer promise? And because I saw it on your website.
2: Yes, it's there. It's on the wall in several places in our building, and it's uh, yeah. People are absolutely aware of it.
1: I see. Um, where do you see Microdot controlling in three years from now?
2: You well, know, that's a tough question.
1: Um, I, I didn't I, promise you that it would be only easy question. <laughs> no, no,
2: you did not. Um, we, uh, we are working very, very hard to um, in, increase the size of the company, and um, hmm. the goal absolutely would be to uh, get back into the range of, well, let's say grow by 50 to 100% over the next three years in terms of sales volume and employees.
1: And that's by diversifying to other industries and other service
2: uh, kind of promises? Yeah, we've been forced by the business environment, the oil and gas industry, and some of the influences of our governments uh, to become more diversified in terms of both markets, Um, so not focused on oil and gas, and also products and services.
1: You know Calgary in Alberta—it's not the first time we see oil and gas dropping. No, it's uh, since I've been here, it's probably the third or fourth time. Yes, and uh, every time people, when the market goes down—and I'm sure it's in every city in the world—that is, you know, not so diversified, and it's a one-industry kind of controlled environment and everybody talks about diversifying, but then oil goes back to 80, 100 bucks a barrel, and everybody forgets diversification, everybody forgets the future, the, the past. Are you afraid that that can come again,
2: or uh, this time uh, it was a big shock? Well, it's a much bigger, bigger shock this time, because uh, historically, <clears throat> the only real drops that we've dealt with is, uh, is the pricing issue, the value of the commodity that we're producing and selling. Uh, But this time we've got that problem. The value has dropped substantially, but more importantly, uh, we have influences uh, in our government that have not been friendly to foreign investment in these areas. And the foreign investment has been substantially driven out of the province, and we've been restricted in our ability to sell the commodity we have. We're primarily landlocked. We have a massive resource, one of the biggest in the world. Uh, but we're unable to um, produce it and deliver it to the world in the way we once were.
1: Um, and now with all the uh, the two or three uh, pipelines that were announced, do you see that, you know, opening that grid look and you forget everything you said and you go back to sell to the oil and gas and when the market goes
2: hot again? Well, I uh, I'm optimistic, but it's not going to. In my view, it's not going to be as hot as it has been historically on the rebound. I see a very long, drawn-out rebound, regardless of the fact that there's a two or three pipelines that might get built and start delivering product.
1: So the market has forced you to look for other avenues.
2: Absolutely, and I, and we will continue to broaden because I will not become dependent on the on the on this particular. Uh, market segment, uh, regardless of the um,
1: publicized optimism. Um, So I asked you two seconds ago, a couple of minutes ago, where do you see uh, microads controlling in three years? My next question is, where do you see Marlene and Ken in three years? Uh,
2: Marlene and Ken should be out. Ken will be substantially out. Marlene maybe less so. I'm not sure. Uh, but I love to travel and I love to go boating and doing the other things. So I'm going to do my best to get out in a you know and uh,
1: do uh, do what I really want to do. So who's going to run the company, Drews? Marlene, you or someone else? Uh,
2: we have uh, we have a few people inside the company that uh, are very capable of running the business, and so. Uh, I think as Marlene becomes less and less involved, and I become less and less involved, that the people below us will uh, pick up. And our goal is that the company should just continue on without us eventually. Mm-hmm. There's no particular reason for that company to quit employing people and doing good things for industry, and that's what we wish for it to do.
1: So um, I have a few questions, kind of to summarize. Uh, we're getting uh, we're about four minutes from the end of the show, and and. Uh, you had a long journey, uh, some of it by yourself, some of it with Marlene uh, by your side, and, and supporting each other. So, if you had to say to sit today with a, a person that wants to become an entrepreneur and start their own business, or he or she, uh, any regrets that or mistakes—sorry, let's not regrets, but mistakes that you have done along the way—that you will say, you know, my advice to you is don't do this and this and that.
2: Well, I think one of the one of the, one of the traps I've seen entrepreneurs fall into is that when they start to get a taste of, of some success, they they tend to they can tend to forget about working hard. I think that um, successful entrepreneurship uh, requires a, an incredibly focused, hard, long hours type of work. Just just keep working. Don't ever sort of start to think, well, I've got it made. Uh, because when you drop your guard,
1: things can go wrong. And, and you know, on a positive note, from you have a vast experience and uh, you have a vast experience before you started your companies and then with your company and more companies, I should say. Yeah. Uh, what are the kind of two or three positive advices that you can give advice that you can give uh, to a new entrepreneur? Um,
2: I think, first of all, um, entrepreneurialism is a very, very important part of our society in that if any person has the feeling that they want to break out and do something on their own, they absolutely should do it. Um, but don't, don't go in blind. Be, surround yourself um, whenever you can when you bring on people to help you because you will need help. Uh, bring on people that you're very sure uh, are going to be able to help you achieve the goal. That means they have to understand the goal. And uh, they have to be people you know and trust, and you have to stay in close uh, communication with those people and try to keep your um, keep your goals focused and together. Uh, it's very important, but expect it to be a lot of hard work. Uh, many hours.
1: <laughs> you keep coming back to that. No, it is not easy. Uh, one thing that I want to kind of uh, ask you is I saw during the... Uh, you know research and, and during our interview that all the companies that you had were around the same kind of industry you didn't you didn't go and explore other industries which I've seen many entrepreneurs do
2: sure um, we had tremendous success uh, working with the oil and gas industry we understood their philosophies we know how to work with their philosophies and so and because it provided a, a wealth of opportunity, it just
1: seemed unnecessary to venture beyond that. But where did you get, like, people come to you and say, hey, Ken, why should? Why don't you invest here? We're going to do this, we're going to do that. And was it kind of a decision to stay focused on, on one industry? Or one um, th-
2: not so much of a decision as the fact that it kept us extremely busy. I see. Our opportunities kept growing and growing, and, and the success was there. So there was just no capacity to really... Uh, go farther. We're not really sort of big corporate development type of mentality. We're more of a family business uh, uh, mentality. Um, I don't like to think of it as mom and pop shop but uh, <laughs> some people say that. Uh,
1: but, uh, it's, you know, it's it's more family. Um, last question I have for you because we have uh, about 30 seconds. Uh, what have you learned about yourself during this long journey?
2: Um, I've learned uh, that uh, I am extremely determined to be successful and very fortunate to have achieved the kind of success that I wanted. And I attribute it to uh, learning and being tough and motivated and getting up every day knowing exactly what I want, goal setting uh, for myself personally and achieving that through a business and the help of others.
1: And listening to Marlene. And listening to Marlene, yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, we reached the end of today's episode of Taking Care of Business. Uh, thank you, uh, Ken Coffey, founder of Microids Controlling, for sharing with us your success and your journey and, and your family story. Uh, we will meet you here next week with new guests uh, sharing their story to a business success. A big thank you to our listeners for being with us. As usual, thank you to our engineer, Aaron, and Cassandra, our production PR management manager. I would love to hear back your feedback at dvwallack at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook, and connect with me on LinkedIn. We'll meet you here, www.voiceamerica.com variety, next Tuesday, December 19th, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific. Your host, David Wallach.